www.netivyah.org. The Basics of Faith, a five-part series recorded February 1994 in North Atlanta Church of Christ, part three of five.
And so, you know, the, the impression that the world is giving us is that we are evolving and there is progress in the world. And if you believe that, you may not feel the urgency for the redemption of the world. The other view, that is more biblical, that on Sunday I will expound even in greater detail, is that actually the perfect was in the beginning. And since then we're going downhill. Yeah. We were in the Garden of Eden. That was the ideal state of mankind. The way God designed it originally. And that's how God wanted it to be. And since that time, after man sinned, the world is going down and the church or the elect of the kingdom or the remnant, whatever you call the people that are the children of God, they are constantly trying to get back to the state that the world was in when it was created. I had a friend. His name was Alex. His father was a doctor. And his father brought him a, a nice encyclopedia, a set of encyclopedias in Hebrew. Very expensive. But he had this ping pong table that his legs were too short. And it was for children. And as we were growing up, we put another set volume of encyclopedias under the legs, <laughs> under the legs of the ping pong table to make the ping pong table higher. Yeah. And years later, I realized that was not the purpose of encyclopedias. You know, that's not they were what they were for. Yeah. And and in a way, that is the essence of what we have. In, a hard time in the modern world realizing that that's not what God created us for. For the world the way it is today. And so, God's pattern has been to prepare a Savior ahead of time. Remember, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. Yeah. God already knew and prepared Moses so that he will be their savior. He was a baby. Pharaoh was killing all the babies. And Moses got saved by, by building the little basket with tar and with pitch and, uh, and, and floating it down the Nile. It just, one would say it was by accident that Pharaoh's daughter found it. But if you read the story, it wasn't an accident, it was the hand of the Almighty God. It wasn't by accident that Pharaoh uh, took in the child <coughs> into his court, into his household, and that Moses was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt. Yeah. It was in preparation for the time that God is going to use that wisdom in order to deliver the people. This has been the pattern of God's redemption throughout the ages that he has always prepared a savior to save his people and the same thing is true with the Messiah what's the earliest prophecy of the Messiah Genesis 3.15 immediately after the fall in the first conversation that God had with Adam and Eve and 
with the snake. Yeah. After the fall in the garden, already there is a prophecy. God promised that the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. And we know that from Jewish literature and from Christian, early Christian literature that this seed of a woman is going to be the Messiah. Yeah? We know that from before the New Testament that the seed of a woman is going to be the Messiah. And so the pattern of God preparing a Savior for mankind is has been throughout biblical history and throughout the history of the Jewish people. God prepared a Savior. Now, this is where up to, up to now I've said nothing. It's all been an introduction. How did this Savior, what was the means that this Savior was supposed to save the world, mankind? Let's have some answers from the floor. By what did Jesus save us? By His blood. Okay. Other words? By His death. Other words? Well, the atonement is what He did. But how did He do it? By His death? Isn't the normal Christian attitude by His suffering? Yeah? That Jesus saved us because He suffered on the cross. Is that right? Well, anybody could have suffered. He had, there was something special about Him that when He suffered, that was... That's now, you, hit, you, you said something very interesting. Anybody could have suffered. Now, the emphasis in the traditional Christian world has been on His suffering. <laughs> by what he suffered he saved us now I want to tell you there are people that suffered a whole lot more than Jesus Titus the Roman general in the year 70 on the night of Elul on the night of the last month or the 11th month of the Jewish year which falls sometime at the end of August beginning no the end of August took a thousand Jews from Jerusalem, gave a cross to each one of them, marched them 500 on each side of the road between Jerusalem and Jericho, and crucified 1,000 people in one day. The 10th Roman Legion participated in that crucifixion. They hung them out there between Jerusalem and Jericho in the Judean desert. <coughs> Josephus describes it that their screams could be heard all the way to Jerusalem. Three days they hung there without dying, without anybody giving them water, on the crosses, nailed to crosses. Jesus suffered six hours on the cross. After six hours they broke his leg. I mean, they didn't break his leg. They broke the legs of the other two thieves and they... they, they wounded him with the spear, water and blood came out, and he said it is finished. Compared to the six hours of Jesus' suffering, the suffering of these thousand Jews on the road to Jericho was much greater. 
but it certainly did not bring salvation to anyone. Did it? It didn't save the Jewish state, didn't save the temple, didn't save any single stone in the world, not even probably the soul of those people that suffered. Am I right? But we are still hung up on this idea that by that the suffering of Jesus is what saves us. That's the power of the cross. Now where does that come from? It comes from the Hellenistic background, the Greco-Roman background. Because in the Greco-Roman background, they had the story of Prometheus. Prometheus was half God, half man. He was one of the sons of Zeus. From a union between Zeus, forgot his mother's name, but she was an earthly lady. Zeus was up in the Olympus. Mankind didn't have the secret of redemption. Prometheus decided to sneak out of the Olympus and to reveal the secret of redemption to mankind. And he did so. And then he was delivered to the gods. The gods were very angry with him throughout eternity. He is still there. Tied on the rock, suffering because he gave the secret of fire. How to make a fire to mankind. Yeah. And that suffering yeah, of Prometheus as the son of Zeus kind of got reinterpreted in Christian thinking and applied to Jesus Christ. That is not the picture that the New Testament portrays of the power of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. That's not the picture of the power of the cross. And what I want to give you today is just a different slant to the power of the cross, to the power of redemption that comes from Jesus Christ. But first, I want to say this. Nobody denies that Jesus suffered and that his suffering was great and that his emotional suffering from being on the cross was greater than the physical suffering because according to the prophet Isaiah and according to 1 Peter he took upon himself the sins of the world and that grief was probably greater than the pain of the crucifixion. But let us look at a few passages that will give us a, diff a little bit different slant than what we have traditionally thought of on the cross. From he I'll start from Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verse 2. From verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame 
and I sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, consider verse 2. He is urging us because we have seen this great group of martyrs. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 is a list of people who gave up their own privileges, were willing to suffer, and that is called faith in 11 chapter. Were willing to pay a price for God's kingdom. In the end, he's got this long list of people that if you knew more about Jewish history, you would know who he's talking about. That, that some were skinned alive, and some saw their children burned in front of them, and others, so on and so on, a long list of martyrs at the end of the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And that chapter 12 starts and calls these martyrs a great cloud of witnesses. Now, what is the word for witness in Greek? Martyr. Yeah. And so we use the word shahid in Arabic today. When they talk uh, in Arabic, the Muslims talk about shahid. Shahid is a witness. But that's the word that is used for those that give their life on behalf of Allah by getting into cars and blowing up American embassies or, or, or Israeli embassies or something else. They're called shahid, martyrs. So this great cloud of martyrs, of witnesses, is an example to us that should get us to lay aside every encumbrance and the sins which so easily entangled us and run with endurance the rest, the race said before us while we are fixing our eyes on Jesus as our example. What did he do according to this verse? The author and perfect of our who said, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It's a wonderful statement. Jesus did not go to the cross as a helpless, you know, weak individual that fell in the hands of a, of, of a, a, a group of bandits. Yeah. He went there with his head raised, knowing toward what he is going. As you know, we have at least four passion predictions in the Gospel. Jesus told his disciples, at least in, on four occasions, what is going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem. Yeah? And oftentimes said, this is not my time. Yeah? Finally, he said, it is my time. Let's go. Get the donkey that is tied there on the post in the village. Yeah? We're ready to go. My time has come. The way he looked at 9.51, he says, my time has come to go to Jerusalem. But earlier he said, my time hasn't come. And he had predicted to the apostles, what is going to happen to Jerusalem when he gets in Jerusalem? He knew what he is heading for. <coughs> and that's why the writer of the book of Hebrews says, he, he fixed his eyes for the joys set before him. He endured the cross. Yeah. He went there with the full knowledge on a voluntary basis what is going to happen to him. And this is the example that the writer of the book of Hebrews wants us as Christians to take of the cross. The cross is not a sign of shame. Yeah? Of weakness. 
It's a sign of victory. Yeah. And that is the essence of being disciples of Jesus Christ. Having the ability, the redemptive power that is given to us to do things that normal human beings don't have the strength or the ability or the power to do. Unless this is so, by what have we what advantage have we over all the rest of mankind or all the other religious groups in the world? As disciples of Jesus Christ. I had uh, I have a friend who is the highest I don't know what to tell you, but he is, his office is right next door to the office of the Prime Minister. He is the highest civil servant in the most secretive position in Israel. And every few months we eat lunch together. About a year and a half ago he invited me for lunch in a very nice restaurant in Tel Aviv and said, Joe, I know about your faith. Now tell me what real benefit you get from believing in Jesus Christ? I wasn't ready for the question. He said, don't give me this religious jargon. You know that I'm not religious and I'm not interested in religion. I want to know what benefit is there from believing in Jesus Christ. And I told him, the ability to withstand pressure and the ability and the strength and the power to keep on going when everything else is against you. The ability to believe even in the facing of the total darkness in front of you. He said, now, now you're talking. In this I'm interested. He said, wouldn't it be interesting if we could transfer that kind of faith to every Israeli soldier that is going to battle? What would that do to our army? No. The ability to withstand the unwithstandable. And this is what the cross means in the New Testament. It is not a sign of weakness and of suffering. It is a sign of victory and power. And when we see Christians the only time I've ever publicly lost my temper and hit a person through a bottle at him was when one of our brothers in the congregation in Jerusalem, a brother in good standing, said about a certain sin that he was engaged in, I can't help it. I can't do it. And I kept showing him, you can do it. God is going to give you the power to do it. And he said, I can't do it, and I lost my temper through a bottle of aspirins at him. <laughs> Hit him in the chest and broke, and uh, I had to take a couple of aspirin after that to, <laughs> to uh, cure my own headache. But, uh, but, but this, this, when I see Christians say, we can't do it, it can't be done. I see Christians who have accepted the weakness 
of the cross that was inherited through the, through the Western Christian tradition and not the power of the cross that this passage is talking about. Let's look at another passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm not doing very well today, folks. Time-wise, I'm talking about. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1. I'll read from, from verse 17. I would start, if I was talking to somebody else, I would start from verse 18. But since I'm talking to people from the Church of Christ, I'm going to start from verse 17. It's a bonus. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ should not be made void. The word of the cross to those who are perishing foolishness. But to, to us who are being saved is the power of God. The word of the cross to us who are being saved. Now this this very interesting construction here. Being saved. This is a present participle. Right? Which means that we started being saved in the past. We are being saved now. And we are continually being saved. Yeah? It's not that we were saved when we were baptized. And after that, the power of God left us. And we are on our own. The power of the cross is something that works perpetually in the life of the Christian. And it's a very powerful thing. The way that I've oftentimes understood in the churches is that, yes, when you were baptized, the power of the cross and the blood of Jesus worked on your life, forgave all your sin, you started with a clean white sheet, and from then on, you're on your own. But that's not what this present participle indicates here. The power of the cross is something that is progressive. That it started in the past and it continues to empower us as disciples of Jesus Christ. And this empowering is not only for Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday for church services. The empowering is to live, not only to meet. To live in your job, to live in the in, in face of, of terribly discouraging things. To continue praising God and finding joy. Even if your wife is sick, or you are sick, or your mother died. Yeah? Even then, to have the joy of life. Because the power of the cross continues to be saving us. So, we are being saved. The cross is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. And where are the wise? And he goes on with, with these wonderful things till we get to verse 23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jewish stumbling block, to the Gentile foolishness. But to those who are called, to those who are called, you believe God called you? Yeah. Do you believe God called you to preach, Bill? Yes. Ernie, you believe that God called you to preach? Even to go to Israel, He called you. I think, you know, we, this is a very important aspect. We don't believe in... in we, we have stopped believing 
that God communicates with us. I said it earlier, we have locked God between the covers of the book. Yeah? And, and this is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible communicates with His children. I'm not saying you're going to get a phone call from Him. Yeah? But, but, but He can impress on your heart things that will force you to do things that you in your right mind will never do. I told you about uh, the other day about this man Veiko Verho in, in, in Baza, Finland. Yeah? That while we were trying to buy the building, we didn't know where, where the money is going to come from. God communicated with him in Vaza. I told him, you have three houses, sell one and give it to the brothers in Jerusalem. Yeah? I didn't communicate with him. God communicated with him. How? I don't know. I wasn't there. But we know that God does communicate with his children. And here it is, you know, we are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God has called us. And I think that, that it is enough to concentrate on the suffering of Jesus Christ. He chose to suffer because He loved you. God chose to allow Him to suffer because He loved you. This suffering wasn't, didn't happen because Pontius Pilatus or Herod the Great, or Ananias the High Priest, or Caiaphas the High Priest. By the way, you know that Caiaphas' skeleton was discovered three years ago in Jerusalem. You know that? And he was a Hellenized Jew. He had a coin in his mouth to pay the passage across the river between the land of the living and the land of the dead which was a Greek mythology. And the high priest that condemned Jesus to the cross was more pagan than any Christian today is. Yeah. But anyway, these people were only pawns in the game. The game plan was made thousands of years before Jesus was born. Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before Jesus was born, already knew the game plan. He already knew what is going to happen to the Messiah. How he will be rejected. How he will be despised by men. How they will make fun of him. How he will die between bandits. Yeah. Isaiah the prophet already prophesied all these things. 700 years before Jesus. It shouldn't have been a surprise to anyone that knew the Bible that this is going to happen. And these jerks, the high priest and Pontius Pilate and Herod, yeah, they were only doing what God had already predicted and planned years before it happened. And Jesus was the only real actor in the scene. He was the only one that could, you know, set the stage for the redemption of all mankind. And he did it voluntarily. He wasn't taken there by force. He told Pontius Pilatus in, in uh, I think it's in the Gospel of John, the, the only Gospel that has this account, that when Pontius Pilatus said, Don't you, aren't you afraid of me? I have the power to take your life. So chapter 19, I think verse 11 or 10 or something there. 
Yes, what did, what did Jesus tell Pontius Pilatus? You don't have power for nothing. You know? You have power for nothing. You think you're the governor of Judea, the emissary of Caesar. Yeah? But unless my Father, who is in heaven, gives you the power, you can do nothing without the power that God gives you. There is clear a power in the cross. It wasn't a man that was weak, that was helpless, that was, you know, carried away by, by, by bandits. This was a man who was in control. And we have got to see Jesus as our hero, not as some weakling who is, is led to the cross because somebody else was evil. And in my opinion, this is a very important basic principle, building block of faith. If our faith in Jesus Christ does not give us strength and power from God to live, our faith is worthless. I saw... I'll tell you about my mother. My mother was very much against me believing in Jesus Christ. But how long after I left for the States did my mother have the accident? Ernie, I wasn't there. Ernie was in his room. A few months. She, had a, uh, she was working in a factory and she had a, a, a work accident and she was burned very, very badly. 75% of her body was burned and she almost didn't make it and she was hospitalized for over two years in a fire and uh, she was hospitalized over two years and she had surgery 36 times plastic surgery and uh, I didn't know any of it nobody wrote me because my parents quit communicating with me when I became a Christian and Ernie didn't communicate with me and so I only find out, found out over two years after the accident happened what had happened. But finally, after I got back to Israel and my Ernie was privileged to be with me when I baptized my mother, uh, seven years after I became a Christian. And uh, my, when my mother became a Christian, yeah. I could see the power of God in her life which meant the power to, to, to live. After she had lost fingers and could hardly walk with the result of the fire and all the surgeries and everything. But she rose up. She was one of the best witnesses of the power of God, teaching people, witnessing, doing good, going to the hospitals. Every week, two days, she volunteered in the hospitals helping people. And everywhere she went, she talked about God and about Jesus. Yeah. And when she got sick with cancer, she continued it. And even on, the la on her deathbed, she had, that after she had breast cancer, she got uh, brain cancer. 
And we were going to have a seminar this, uh, on the weekend. And she said, pray with me on Thursday. So she prayed and said, God, don't take me away before Monday morning. I don't want my death to disturb and put a damper on the seminar that our brothers are going to have. And this is how it was. Monday morning, in the morning they called me. I knew what the call was about. She passed away Monday morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. She knew, and she was, she was in the hospital. She was worried what's going to happen in the seminar. The power of the cross can make weak people strong. Can make mice into men. And it is a very real power. And that is the meaning of salvation. The meaning of salvation is not just going to church. The meaning of salvation is not just singing without an instrument. The meaning of salvation is not just giving of your money. The meaning of salvation is to have the power of the cross in your life, which defies death, defies fear, defies everything. You have a man here who could have had a wonderful career in the military. Yeah? But he gave it up when he became a Christian because he didn't want to, to go preach the gospel uh, and, and then bomb them with nuclear bombs to the same city that he's supposed to preach the gospel. Yeah? It didn't make sense to him. Because the power of the cross took him over. Then you've got people like Ernie Stewart. Yeah. That the power of the cross, he is sick with 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 the heart condition. His heart is, is forty percent not functioning and he wants to go to Israel next month. Yeah. To help, you know, some of the brethren there. That that they could get along without him. But he wants to go because he feels God has called him to do it. Yeah. This is the power of redemption. It is not a redemptive power just to worship. It is a redemptive power to live. To empower us to overcome obstacles, physical and spiritual, that we never would dream we were capable of doing. And I think that this is a building block of faith. I took couple of minutes more than I was allowed, but may God bless you and give you the power. Nativia, www.netivyah.org.